Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community, match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We have quite an illustrious guest with us in the studio today, joining us from LAFC and the MVP podcast, the one, the only, Vince LaRosa. Thank you so much for being here. I'm super stoked that we changed the name of our podcast, MVP podcast, before I came here, because that intro, baller. <laughs> Dude, oh, very nice. Baller. Jo- Jonathan, Jonathan does it so well that literally I don't want to even make an effort at, at trying yeah, to do the yeah. intros anymore. <laughs> at one point we were rotating. But then every time it's, Jonathan it, did it, it sounded so much nicer. Yeah. yeah. Well, my thing is always getting the match by match, fan by fan, story by story, right? <laughs> All the time. Like it's. <laughs> oh yeah, that was one take for everybody. Like just yeah. nailed it yeah. straight up. So that that's a big deal. One one take. Jay Z. You literally don't know like how many times in my shower and toilet I practice this. I hope like, not. Just looking into my phone, never, not once actually. <laughs> oh. uh, my mother did always say I had a face for radio though. So yeah, there you go. We're we're ready to go, but. Joined, as always, of course, Chris Christian here with us. Uh, shout out sound engineer Wilton, who is uh, watching the Brazil game, who could not be here with us today, but he's showing his lady friend a good time tonight. So so. It's her birthday. Yep. I mean, so, you know. happy birthday to Wilton's, Wilton's girlfriend. <laughs> Wilton's girlfriend. <laughs> Sorry, she probably, doesn't, she, she probably doesn't listen to the pod. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm really not worried about getting in trouble. I don't know if it's a good idea to bring your girlfriend to hang out with Neymar and Coutinho. I'm just uh, saying, I mean... Oh. That's true. They're talented, good-looking gentlemen. That's true. That are on the field. <laughs> yeah. With great teeth. Um, with great teeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, guys, before we dive into this interview with Vince, we had a game this past weekend. Our boys flew to Orlando, and we were looking to try and get the W, and that would have solidified first place in the Western Conference for us. We did end in a 2-2 draw. However, you know, a silver lining to this was that we had seven players on international duty, and we had one player... Carlos, who uh, was still recovering from his uh, leg, hamstring, hamstring yeah. leg yeah. injury. So, I mean, with that, you know, I think we only had five guys on our bench, and that was including Pablo Cisniega. So it just shows you we didn't even have enough players to field a full 18. So I think that result going into Orlando, I thought that that's definitely a, a, a good takeaway. What do you guys think? hot, very humid game. Uh, and speaking to all the ultras that were there, you know, it, it sounded like it was just an unbearable environment. So the fact that even shorthanded, they were able to put out the kind of effort, you know, come from behind, score the late goal, you know, get the point on the road. You know, look, we've been spoiled. Let's be honest. We, we have been 100% spoiled. Every other team in this league would be happy to get a point on the road. But I would say, you know, in our case, we have to be happy with this. This is the kind of stuff that, that you know, I mean, teams are going to go through when you have a, a squad that's as heavily rotated as we have. I mean, I'm just happy for Adrian Perez to finally get his first goal. I know he's been trying hard, trying to get into the team. Josh got his first goal the last match. Um, so, you know, back-to-back Perez, and now Perez has got to start together. He got his first goal. I wasn't very happy about that first goal that Orlando scored, basically right off the kickoff. A bad deflection, and I they thought, both actually had a bad deflection. I thought a little bit, yeah. I think the deflection threw off Blackman, who was trying to anticipate the pass, and then let left him flat footed. And Nani, obviously, him going one on one against the keeper, waited till the last second until he could chip, and it was a flawless finish. I was a little more disappointed in the second goal. I think we let them off a little bit too close to the to our goal, where we weren't pressing as closely defensively. There um, was the deflection too, a foot. True, but I think the the build up. 
you can't excuse right the deflection up. for a buildup. So I, that's what I wasn't happy about. And I know that that's not necessarily one of Wynn's strongest suits on the second to final pass, but that's just one of the takeaways. Allowing them to score right off the second, right off our first goal, and then seven minutes later scoring again, and us being down when I think we were doing really well and taking control of the game. And a couple of bad plays let them almost have a win. But it was an interesting roster, you know, an interesting lineup to, to say the least. You know, we had both Perez's and Dio, Rossi. The, between the two Perez's and Rossi, they were rotating in between who was taking the midfield position. And I just, it was, it was an interesting. It was, you know, you're seeing people play that haven't really gotten a lot of minutes or people playing in a position that's not their normal. So, yeah. And it was an experimental lineup, too. I think we played a double pivot, a 4-2-3-1 of sorts that morphed into 4-3-3 at times offensively. So I like the fact that we're trying new things out, we, even if it's an obligation because of our players missing. And we have to be a little bit more flexible, especially going into the playoffs, depending on who's available, who's injured, and possibly who we're playing and I know that Bob's philosophy is we play our football and if we are able to play different styles of football at times when necessary depending on what the situation is I enjoy that don't get me wrong I prefer our 4-3-3 and our starting 11 but if we have to play a different way and we can and get a result or at least give confidence to some of the players that don't necessarily play all the time because they're getting this playing time those are all good takeaways for me I was impressed by the adaptability I thought we were able to transition from different phases of the game, different styles of formation very well. Now, it would have been nice to have been able to watch the entire game wall-to-wall. There were definitely some issues in the broadcast that made that a bit challenging. We missed some significant moments in the game where we were watching, but it would have been nice to see something a little bit more cohesive as far as the broadcast is concerned. But I was impressed by the fact that with that many squad rotations out, we were able to rotate through those different phases so well. But, uh, you know, Vince, I'm, I'm very curious to hear your take on it. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys make all great points. And I really like the take of how the team played despite the deficiencies that they had to face. I think if you look at it from this standpoint, the other few times that we had heavily, heavily rotated squad, I'm going to say Vancouver, I'm going to say Colorado, both were losses. Obviously, that's bad in and of itself. Carlos is on the pitch for both those games. Those teams looked a little bit lost. This match, I saw a cohesive team that knew what they were doing, knew how to use the ball, and despite having so many rotated players, was willing to to commit and play an LFC style. I mean, that Vancouver game, and that's much earlier in the season, right? That's true. Bringing in some young guys. You know, Schaff were very young. Nico Hemeline, and also when he was still with the team, very young. They they looked lost. They looked disconnected. They looked uncomfortable. Colorado, again, and these are teams that are making uncomfortable, but Colorado, it just it, uncohesive. To me, one of the bigger takeaways is actually about Orlando in a lot of ways. This was a game Orlando absolutely needed to win. They could not afford a draw, could not afford a loss. And I'm seeing an LAFC team throughout that match that was basically saying, look, we're going to still boss possession. The only thing is the the other big takeaway is what we've already talked about with the the letoffs. There's been kind of this inconsistency as of late, and I know the guys have talked about. It. I know Beta talked about it after the match, yeah. where there just seems to be like a five ten minute period where all of a sudden guys just kind of forget what they're doing or they're just not locked in. That goes for a goal that happens right after the kickoff. I mean, you just you absolutely cannot open the scoring away from home and then concede right off the kickoff. And I, I wrote a little bit about it. Just a couple things. You get a little unlucky. You lose it a little focus. Maybe you have a little bit of veteran nous that you're missing because Tristan's in there at center back. Uh, I wrote specifically about him 
you know, maybe you just put a hand on Nani. You don't yeah. have to foul him. You just kind of slow him down. You just kind of reach out and say, hey, look, I'm here. I'm a center back. You're not just going to run through me and no one's going to touch you. The second goal, again, you know, yeah, I think you put it the best way you could. You got to tighten up. 25 yards from your goal, you got to tighten up. Yeah. And Lee will be disappointed because he knows he can – his strides as a, a midfielder on both sides of the ball have been so big. And for him and Latif just to kind of – they just kind of cycled. They just kind of moved around right. the guys. Uh, but I will give Orlando credit. Kind of a pretty goal. For you. I mean, if you could pull yourself out of yeah. it and not be upset about it. A lot it, of touches, yeah. Kind of a pretty goal. Kind of a goal you would expect LFC to score. It was a training ground goal for sure. You could tell it was something that it looked rehearsed. But, you know, speaking of things we rehearse and perhaps an opportunity for the team that we noticed in this game as well too, you know, set pieces, whether it was corners or free kicks, throughout the course of the season, we're consistently seeing a lack of conversion there or a lack of really potent shots on goal there. Is that something, boys, that you're concerned about going forward and into the postseason? I think you bring up a good point. At least for this game, they they played a lot more shorter balls because they had lack of size with some of the players being out on international duty. I know that they're trying things. I don't, I don't think they've executed it consistently. And I think once we get that breakthrough, it'll be great because when teams sit back and kind of absorb pressure so they can counter us uh, as some of the teams do that try to beat us when they, they can't play their football against our team. If we can get consistent threats from set plays and we can get goals, then they, they that's something they cannot control anymore, right? So then they're more on their back foot and they're going to have to be forced to play a little bit more and that'll open them up. So getting those goals from set pieces and then opening up the score, forcing them to attack is also going to, I think, allow our team to play our football. Do you think the decision to go with short corners has increased? It appears to me, I mean, I'm, I'm not looking at any facts here, but it seems like we're taking a lot more short corners than, you know, the typical choice of in-swinger, out-swinger that we were seeing previously. I think for this game we did, but I think with Brian Rodriguez coming in, I, I know that Atuesta, Wynn, and Vela can all take them. So I think it's a matter of connecting the plays we probably rehearse in practice. Um, and I don't know when that's going to happen, but I hope it happens within the next month or so. Yeah. Do you have any insight or thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I talk to a lot of the guys that are training a lot about set pieces, and it is something that they drill on. It's normally something that you drill on maybe a day before the game, especially when you're having a lighter day because you don't want to run the guys too hard. The short set pieces, the thing is this, and, and you bring up a good point with Brian, um, who can hit a set piece. A lot of times the, the long set pieces are just a function of how good the delivery is. Unfortunately, we don't have guys. I mean, Carlos is a decent deliverer of a set-piece ball, but some days he's on, some days he's off. At to us, the same thing. Brian seems to have a, actually a really great delivery, and he's just kind of now getting in. I mean, look, he comes into that Galaxy match, and he's tasked with taking those corners. That is a big, big deal if you really think about it. Mm-hmm. So I think with him out I and mean, not having that great delivery, the best thing to do is kind of work a training ground thing. And I, I can tell you that that goal that Adrian scored, a lot of those movements were based off a of training ground movement. And if you can get one, honestly, if you can get one major opportunity off a set piece per game, you're actually trending pretty high. I know we want to see actual goals, but if you can get an actual opportunity, you're trending pretty high. And especially when you think about the amount of times we've just sent balls in, just kind of played, gone through the motions. This was a big thing. I know, I look, I'm actually not a fan of short quarters at all. So I'm, I'm with a lot of people that are like, man, I just, I hate to see it, just whip it in. But when you see an actual chance opportunity created out of it, and then you, you think about, especially this lineup, we were 
this was like our small ball lineup. I right. mean, the best best way you could put it. Right. I think they took advantage of it. But yes, going into the postseason, I would like to see at least more ideas, more chance creation because it is a way to break a game wide open. I mean, you look at that one postseason game we've had, man, if we could have had maybe another set piece goal or something just in those final moments. I know we got Danilo to get that set piece goal to, to tie the game, but when we were really pressing, man, you break it open with a set piece goal, you can really open up a team and, and force the issue. I think even if just the team has it in their mind that you're a threat from set pieces, it changes their ability to counter. It changes you know, how they go ahead and line themselves up to defend those set pieces. It changes um, defensive confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. I do have a little bit of concern. You know, hopefully there's something we see uh, over the course of the remainder of the season or throughout the postseason that changes my mind. I would love for that to be the case. But right now, uh, it's an itch. It's it's not necessarily something that I'm, I'm overly concerned about, but I, I do see it as a potential, you know, a, a potential to, to be a bit concerned with in the long run. I, I think that we also are still potentially going to be shorthanded for this upcoming game yeah. against Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is in second place in the Eastern Conference right now. And uh, they potentially could overtake NYCFC, depending on how the remaining games play out. You know, we still might have some players that might be back from their international duty, but, you know, who knows where their um, endurance level is going to be at. And, uh, you know, I don't know if Carlos' status has changed since this past weekend, so... Do you have any insight on any of that, Vince? Who, Carlos? Who? No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can. Candles, you know, right. I can tell you. So, Carlos, coming out of that game where he had an injury, did only individual work, only in the gym, and then light jogging. Then he progressed. He's been working with the ball, but again, individually. I think this is the first week that he will be actually training with the team, which, in my experience with our performance staff, that is when you are actually finally available. Now, Bob did say, look, if this game in Orlando was a final, Carlos would have played. That's just the way Carlos looks at games, the way he's a gamer. But they have a bigger picture in mind. I think if he's training and he's not feeling any discomfort, he absolutely will play. Because what I know in the little time I've gotten to spend with Carlos, if he's going to a game and he's putting on the uniform, he's playing. If you're not going to play him, he doesn't want to be there because he he wants to play. He's not a bench player. He's not a super sub. So I think if, if he's feeling right throughout the week, he will absolutely be in the starting line. It's interesting, too, to me, at least, for Philadelphia. I know their coach kind of said, like, bring on Atlanta, bring on LAFC a couple matches ago. So basically saying, let's see if they can come and beat us at our house. So I'm looking forward to this game. And if you're saying that Vell is there, I mean, it excites me a little bit more. I still have confidence in the squad regardless. That just is a little extra sauce, right? It's something that makes everything easier for the rest of the team. If he's available, no matter how much he plays, those moments that he's on the field, he can create or at least make the defense uncomfortable and aware of him, which opens up spaces for the rest of the team. As far so. as the rest of our international call-ups, we should be seeing some of those back as well, too. A Walker, I don't believe, came in today. I know he didn't start. He didn't play today. So I would assume right. that Walker will be back. Speaking right, of that, right. Brian Rodriguez he had a balled great out goal today. today. Scored. Yeah. yeah. First international goal. It's going to be big. Big for his confidence. Big for him. Yeah. Uh, left-footed. Left left this is the second game that he had. This is his first time being called up to the senior squad, right? And second appearance. Second appearance. I mean, he he appeared. He started in both games. Yeah. So it's. I mean, that's 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 great. You know. Mm-hmm. But to to your guys' point, yeah, that is uh, something to think about and consider. I know Edward Atuesta. His games had already been done. He's already joined the team, but he did go ninety minutes both matches. Um, went to South America. Yeah, he went to South America, so there's flights considering. So all these guys are going to have to be evaluated before they can be integrated with the team. It's something that we don't really think about, but you don't just say, hey, you're back. 
you train at the same level. You have to be tested. You have to basically go through your paces before you can be brought through. So guys like Brian, who I think played 290 minutes, Mark Anthony K, 290 minutes. If you're going to ask them to go another 90 in the span of just a little over a week, you're risking injury. So they're they're going to have to be checked and they're going to have to be found out to be, you know, of a fitness level. And the performance team, I, our performance team, I think is second to none. So I that, I have full faith in them. So if, if you don't see a guy play, it's got to be because they have uh, said, you know, this is in the best interest of the team and of the player. Totally makes sense. So how, how do you see, I guess, with a team available such as Orlando, let's, let's discount all the players that were away on uh, international duty. Do you think that they can do a good job against this Philadelphia team? Or let's say we get a few of the guys back and I guess, what do you see as an outcome, a favorable outcome? Yeah. I mean, I think I'd like to see a few of the guys back. I think, I mean, you just, it's not, it's no offense to the guys that played in Orlando and they wouldn't, I don't think they would take offense to either. They're squad, they're squad players and you need squad players, right? especially going forward. Look, we could, before we play this game in Philadelphia, find out that we are the Western Conference winners. If Minnesota does not take full points from their game on Wednesday, we will have wrapped up the Western Conference. I know it's kind of a, a bummer way to do it, but hey, you'll take it sure. because you know what? It means international play. So we're going to need squad players. We're going to be traveling around uh, you know, Central and South America. We're going to need guys. So the guys like Josh Perez that have shown, I can be counted on. Not just not just thrown in because you need to fill right. a, bo- a number, but um, yeah, if you can get someone like Edward Atuesta back in there, you, uh, obviously if you can get Carlos back in there, you're going to feel a lot more favorable. What I'm curious is, is how Philadelphia is going to play this. Orlando played fairly conservative. We had a lot of the ball. They really tried to get as many guys behind the ball and, and basically leave Nani and Dwyer and say, look, you guys can be outlets. That'd be great. Philly is a team that, uh, by their talk, believes that they are a top team. So yeah. I will be interested to see if Jim Curtin, who actually is a disciple Bob Bradley. So a guy that probably is very staunch in his football views. I will be interested to see, do they decide that they're going to play open and try to play and try to press? Because that seems to be Philly's new thing is they're a pressing team. Or if they say, Carlos is in, Atuas is back, maybe we need to be a little bit more conservative. And I think that's something to look for because that's it really is a sign of respect. I know that at the end of the day, people say, well, Minnesota beat us. Who cares if it's respect? Man, the way that they had to play to do that, it's, and I say it over and over again, Imagine telling 11 guys, especially guys that think, look, every one of these guys thinks that they are the closest version of Neymar that they know other than Neymar. Right. That, that they just believe in themselves. And that's the way they are. So imagine you're a, you're a manager and you say, guys, it's great, but today we're playing LAFC. I need you all to get behind the ball. It's not as easy as you think. Right. right. It's a very uh, humbling you know, request. Yeah. Something that you mentioned, though, that I, I don't think I realized, if we win the West, that's guaranteed international play? Correct. Really? Yes. The way the way it works is the it, four spots for from MLS to go to Concacaf will be MLS Cup winner, yep. Supporter Shield, the conference winner that is not Supporter Shield, and U.S. Open Cup. So as of right now, Atlanta is back into the CCL. We have an inside track, either be the be the Western Conference or Supporter Shield, and then obviously the it'll sort out who gets what it from the other side. Three? Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. What yeah. happens? What happens if you get? Uh, that's when stuff gets crazy. Yeah, and that's I cannot tell you that. Uh, that's that's that was the whole concept behind what was weird about the best points total of consecutive seasons. That because Toronto had won MLS Cup and was also the Canada Cup winner, they right. couldn't be both. Right. So that's where you start to get into these weird scenarios. I think no matter what, we will be one of those picks. But yeah, if right, but I'm at, just, no, just so, for like a fan knowledge, like hey, okay, so what would happen if you know, like you said, we get the MLS Cup, 
and we got the supporter shield. Then this we would go obviously as one of them, but that would have to go either. I would think the first thing they would do is that they would do that again. A uh, an aggregate of whatever team has the most points over consecutive seasons, which oddly enough actually would probably would be LAFC because of how well we've done in the past two seasons. Um, so then they would go to the next level, the next one down, and just cu- keep going down the list. And now, if we were to win, like we can't do this, but if Atlanta were to be the Eastern Conference plus Open Cup plus MLS Cup, that's where you've got me. I don't know how they're gonna. I don't know how they're gonna do decide that. But Atlanta's at this point. Atlanta is the only one that can. That's in. Yeah. That could get. That could get a three, right. like a three across and that's the board. Never been done in uh, the MLS. No. So we'll have to get a mathematician on the next show to yeah. explain it to us, perhaps. Maybe Wilton can help us out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, just another point also with uh, the standings as of this last Saturday was uh, the Galaxy are out of playoff spot. Don't worry about that. Well, no, but it's just the fact that, you know, they're they're falling farther and farther down. So you just wonder. If... I think they have one of the easier schedules. So it doesn't mean it doesn't, no, it doesn't mean anything because last last year they had Houston at the end at home and somehow flubbed it and yeah they've already lost to Minnesota this year that they is Houston at home last year last will they play Colorado tomorrow yep there will be no Jonah there will be no Ariel and Tuna and there will be no Sebastian Lejet right at altitude Colorado's been playing very well I mean like they they still have an uphill tap once you fall out with a month left it doesn't matter how how good your schedule is you're now in win every single game territory and the galaxy are one team that have proven they cannot and on a consistent basis pick up three points so yeah, we'll see what happens yeah. i mean i'd say two through eight or nine is crazy regardless yeah. they could end up as high as second though too exactly. so i yeah, exactly. again i wouldn't bet against them but the the one thing is this they're out of contention right now they can mathematically not finish higher than lafc for the second straight year i've already promised and i will hold yeah. to this if galaxy do not make the playoffs First playoff game for LAFC, I'm bringing a keg to the tailgate. I will buy a keg, bring it to the tailgate. I'm not charging a penny for anything. I will give away free beers to anyone and everyone at the tailgate if <laughs> Galaxy don't make the playoffs. And you can hold me to that. Mark it down. Yep. So I like it. But anyways, so yes, we do have a game this upcoming uh, Saturday on the 14th. We uh, will have to make sure that we have that on uh, during the concert. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, we maybe, maybe we could watch it at fields or free play or just 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 huddle around our phone in our in our beautiful suite we have for iron maiden oh. <laughs> are you going to that i'm not going max bredos will be there though for sure oh, absolutely i will be playing against some of the iron maiden roadies the next day in a little bit of pickup soccer really? um, so hopefully they'll have uh drank heavily and or partied a little too hard because i'd like to win that match. where's that at i think we're going to be doing it at cal state la i don't know if it's going to be a uh type of cheering open to the public thing because it's going to be just a bunch of old guys kicking the ball around. So I doubt anybody wants to actually watch that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you guys, uh, Max, if you see Max Bredo, tell him I say hello. He will probably be making the rounds. Yeah. Send him a text. Tell him to come by the suite. But yeah, he'll de- he'll definitely be watching. He told me he's going to make sure he watches the match before he uh, takes an Iron Maiden. So you'll definitely, I think you should have time. Uh, they they are older, but I believe they still like to go on after dark, so you should be good. Well, to heck with the roadies. Like, have Max come buy drinks for us, all right? Jeez, come on. Yeah. Those Max got TV sweets. money. They're, they're not, not cheap. Not cheap. So, You're progressing. Don't worry. Well, we uh, hopefully we'll see uh, quite a few of our LAFC familia there at the bank this weekend for after Misfits. I mean, this and Misfits, I mean, what's some great concerts we've had lined up at the bank. We're pretty fortunate that the events, you know, Mumford as well, too. They're a huge act. I mean, but they just they made the venue available for the for events like this. And I, it's just amazing. It's just it's yeah, it's just, just uh, getting started. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, I mean, and you can just see that 
this is a venue because it's so new and because of the way that it's set up, the people, bands want to come and play here. So. I just I just think, you know, as an overarching theme before we wrap this up and move on to our illustrious guest on the couch here. Um, you know, I know people are a little down that we haven't got a W in the last three games. And, and, and I get that. You know, we've gotten to a point where this team were three games without a win. And, and there's a little bit of a panic mode starting in, in some of the casual fans, right? You know, guys, come on. <laughs> take, take a step back and relax. We've had players out on injury. We've had players out on international call-up. These are the things that a normal team goes through. These are not must-win games for us. You know, we don't need to see the sky is falling. We're still in the best position of any team in the league, considering where we're at. And I think people just kind of need to to dial back the panic just a little bit. You know, find a place, find your Zen space to go to and and, and kind of chill out. You know, for me, uh, Greatest Band in the History of Music Tool released a wonderful album this week. You know, go find your happy space. Be at peace. Go put on Fear Inoculum. Listen to that wall to wall and let, you know, <laughs> the choir or seraphim of that beautiful music fill uh, you with beauty. And, uh, you know, you'll realize that, that the world is full of joy and wonderful things. And, you know, there's no point in freaking out when... You know, really all matter in the universe is really energy condensed to a slow vibration and every atom in our body was forged in the heart of the sun and we're all wow. one and dude, what unified did, what with did each the, other. What so. did the Facebook group do to you, dude? Like, <laughs> you went deep. You went deep. <laughs> that that LSU fans can, can force you into, uh, you know, trying to go for some soul searching. Um, and, uh, Meditating every morning since? The last one was going on right now. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. You know, I love it. As long as we all realize that, you know, self is an illusion and we're all just one consciousness experiencing the idea of individuality, then we can move past through all this. And, and speaking of moving past, um, <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> but he's a king of segues. Dude, they, that's his get down, oh, dude. He yeah. segues. He yeah. keeps us on topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He'll make connections that are like from I'm Like out sitting of this next world. to David Bowie and yeah. he's like, now I'm going to interview you. Let's do this. <laughs> you get a couple frosties in me, you know, and it just flows. What can I say? Yeah. Um, but um, Jay Z over here. Speaking of flowing, we have a man who can, uh, you know, put pen to paper or at least, uh, you know, keyboard to page better than anyone else in the business, as far as I'm concerned. One of the best writers, one of the best voices, be it in, in digital or spoken form, that we have in the club. Mr. Vince LaRosa with us. So it's kind of a tradition with us. We like to start with hearing about how you came to love the beautiful game. Now, since you are a person that, you know, is fairly involved in this community, we, we know that you played growing up. And so we know that you obviously have a huge passion for Team Italy and some stuff like that. But we, maybe there's some stories out there that we haven't heard yet. So yeah. maybe there's some stuff about you growing up with this, the beautiful game that we haven't heard. So tell us, you know, a little bit about your early association with football you know i started like pretty much everyone else out here in southern california we all start with aso at some point right and that's i think that's something that we don't talk enough about because i know the the topic du jour is about getting uh american players to the highest levels but let's take a moment to kind of all grasp that like at one point landon donovan jordan harvey christian pulsick these kids started in aso right like, it's kind of a cool thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we all are connected in that kind of way. Um, and I know LFCs, we're, you know, we're big about where our connection is. So, yeah, I started in ASO just like everyone else. I can I can still kind of remember there was like a switch. It literally was like a literal switch for me where you go from like, oh, there's flowers and I just want to kick the ball as hard as I can to like, I remember scoring a goal and then it was like that switch was like, oh, this is fun. I like doing this. I'm going to do this more. And how do I do this more? And like that's, and it was just from there, just gone. 
I actually just went to my first AYSO match on Saturday. Uh, my four-year-old is now playing AYSO, and uh, he didn't he score it. like six goals or it, something? The final five, the yeah. final score was seven to two, and my son scored five. Right, and you see you see your son, and you see him, and he probably started out being like, "Dad, I, this is gonna be fun. I like soccer." And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, just have a good time." Yeah. And then he scores one, and you're like, "Hey." Awesome. I love it. Love seeing that. And he scores two and he's like, Dad, I'm scoring as many as I can, as often as I can. You're like, hey, there's other kids on the team. He's like, who cares about those other kids, Dad? I'm the superstar. I actually have a video of, this is like, I think his fourth goal that he scored. Because I didn't record the first few. You know, I didn't think to record them. But then after, my wife wasn't there. And she was like, oh, because I sent her a text. Oh, Gabe scored one. Gabe scored two. Gabe scored three. Hey, do you have any videos? I'd like to see my son score a goal. And so then I started recording. You're like, I'm too busy living the moment, man. <laughs> on, on the fourth <laughs> one. Did you tell her no cell phones in the North End? Sorry. That's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're chanting. We're, we're jumping. So on the fourth one, though, you can hear, like, my son and one of his teammates has it. And my son, like, is faster than his teammate. He comes up, he gets the ball in front of him, and he kicks it into the goal. But the, when his teammate had it, you can hear all the fans on my team, like, cheering. All the parents, like, oh, yeah, go, go, yeah. go. And then when Gabriel gets the ball, you hear, aw. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, thri- thrive off of it man you just thrive off of it yeah it's it's i it's weird because like i said it, it was a literal switch and then i you know i think the one thing that when i hang out with the academy kids now which is so humbling hanging out with lfc academy kids is just how much soccer they get and how much high level soccer they get because man when i played we you know i talked about it on other podcasts you just have to just like look at the back of magazines to like yeah. figure out what was going on in the world of Euro soccer. We got sport. like one game so a week. Available. Yeah. So available. You know, yeah. the coaches we had, look, if you had an accent, you were probably considered a good coach, which we've all now learned is the worst idea ever. Right. Um, but I but I still got to be fairly su- successful. You know, I it's weird to think that like I played against Jordan Harvey. Like we've talked about coaches that we've shared in common. Like Benny Failhaber. I played against Benny Failhaber. Like they were obviously way better than I was. Sure. I remember... Like a story about Jordan Harvey was like Jordan Harvey was like one of those people we used to like whisper about like, yo, this guy Jordan Harvey like he's on he's left footed like doesn't stop running he's a beast like he's so good, and he reminded me or one of his podcasts reminded me that he was the first Gatorade Player of the Year from California, which is amazing to think of how many amazing soccer players we've had. And he was the first one to finally be picked from California. So like Texas had one, everywhere else had like a Gatorade Player of the Year until Jordan Harvey. So that's just like the dude is a California legend. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was my, yeah. So I grew up in a, in a competitive, you know, strikers. It's funny because now all the teams are academy teams, but some of them are still around. Strikers are still around. I actually played for Slammers. We are, have a connection to the girls team. The girls team when I played was the best girls team. Even then they're an amazing team, national champions all the time. But yeah, it's, it's, it, it's just so crazy to me to now go back and hang out with academy kids and have them be like, yeah, you know, we got to work on second balls. I'm like, I didn't know what that, like second balls, there's two balls on the pitch. I didn't know what that was right. when I was a kid. I was just trying to score goals, yeah. you know? And so I just, it blows me away the amount of soccer that they get. And I, I tell them all the time and they're probably like, that weird guy keeps telling me like <laughs> he, he wishes that like he had coaches like I do. So, I mean, maybe, maybe it endears me to the, uh, the academy coaches because like, thanks man, we're trying our best. But man, I, I really do wish that the level that we have now, yeah. I mean, People are down, pretty down on U.S. soccer right now, and I know that they're not doing too well. But Berhalter up. yeah, but if you <laughs> if you look coming. at some of the things that are going on at some of the levels, and and if and if you're thinking about going to an LAFC Academy game, I highly recommend it because they play some sexy football. Like it is, you can tell 
And honestly, when they play, like they told me, you know, we're playing Galaxy soon. I was like, I don't even go to those games because the Galaxy have no style compared to what we have. And so if you're if you're wondering like what's the future gonna be like for LFC, LA Spikes. Galaxy, how, it's, how it's gonna be pretty funny cool. enough. I never played ASO. Ever. No, my, so my you just went straight to club when my little Baller. neighborhood has no, no, no. There was no ASO, but it was all like Mexican Central American run. Latino oh, okay. Park League. Yeah, I played in those Sunday yeah, leagues yeah, yeah, for a while yeah. when I when I got out. Oh no, it was from like seven years old up to like oh, okay. fourteen. So it was like ASO without it in being in English. Yeah, basically. Um, but Same then thing. I went to club. Yeah, yeah. So I have a question about our. How close are we to potentially having like the ages? You know, our do we. Is it still maybe a couple of years away before we potentially would have an academy player come on? Fifteen. Yeah, we so we've got kids that are now. So it kind of jumps. It's uh, the academy structure, which now the more I think about it, kind of makes more sense because the way it was explained to me is it goes from U fifteen to a level that is U seventeen, U sixteen combined. So a lot of places will put they they want to win. You know, it looks good for your academy to win. Now, we all can say, like, yeah, it's not about that, but it still looks good for your academy to win. So a lot of teams will have a lot of 17-year-olds on their U16, U17 team. There's no, there's no, nothing against it. You can have all 17-year-olds. We have decided that we were, are just going to keep moving the levels up. So that U15 team, all those kids are now on the U16, U17 team. So they're playing up. Yeah, they're, they're playing up. They're all 16-year-olds. And they're doing that on purpose to, so that they can even say, hey, maybe every once in a while, 14-year-olds very good. He'll play against a 17-year-old. Let's see. Like, let's see what happens. So there's still maybe a year and a half to two years away from thinking about signing a contract. But yeah, the, the, the talks are happening. I wouldn't say they're advanced, but there's, you know, just feeling it out. Like, what do you, what do you like? You know, how, how do you like this player? How do you like this guy to play? I know uh, we've had three players at full training, a goalkeeper and two central defenders. Central defenders always seem to matriculate faster. It's. I wouldn't say it's an easier position, but uh, it just it's just something that you can seem to pick up faster. It's like they get moving faster to where they get to maybe the first team, and then they slow down again, and then at 24 they all of a sudden become world beaters. Whereas skilled players, you know, a lot of times you have skilled players that like they're just too small. Like uh, I look at the kids on the academy team, and I could not imagine any of them going one v one with Walker. Like they would yeah. just die. Yeah. Um. So they're they're not. So the attackers are not quite that level yet, but. The best thing about it is from the U12s to these U16s, U17s, they are playing in a style of football that is the style that that Bob would like to play, which is the reason why academy uh, coaches and the director, uh, Todd, they're in a lot of the meetings, the morning meetings. They just, they chat soccer. So when Bob says something, they know exactly what he means. There's no disconnect. So that then when they tell the kids, they are now going to know so that when those kids do show up to training, Bob just says, hey, we do this, we do this. I don't have to pull you aside. So it's still a little bit of ways, ways away. And we, and we always have to be very cautious about it. You know, we know we've had at every level, there's been that horror story, you know, there's the Freddie Adus and stuff like that. But I, I do believe that the direction that we put this Academy in and the, the idea of not just buying an Academy and moving on with it, yeah. this was the best way to do it because from top to bottom, they're going to be so ingrained in what we do. Um, that it's going to be it's it's going to be important for the first team. The academy has been involved in the culture of the team as well too. I mean, where I sit in the north end, we have academy players come yep. sit with us all the mm -hmm. time. Um, you know, look, our, our first TIFO we ever made in the north end had an academy player right in the front of it. You know, obviously that was under tragic circumstances, but you know, I mean, as much as we remember Tommy Mark for the tragedy, you know, people forget he was the first LAFC player to score a hat trick versus Carson. 
you know, I mean, and that is something that the North End remembers. That is something that, you know, this team, you know, we carry on those ideologies and it means something to those kids. It means something to those young men as they graduate and, and hopefully as they become young adults and, and move on in their professional career, there will be a connection to LAFC that transcends the game. And, and that has been forged through some very, very, very smart people in this club who have seen that connecting them to culture and ideology and coaching and so much of, of what makes LAFC LAFC is part of what's driving these kids. And I think that's an important factor that often gets overlooked when we look at them as simply tactical beings and not human beings. You know, I'm, I'm excited for the day when our academy is spoken about in the same sentence as like FC Dallas and some of the other better known uh, academies in the MLS and, and then eventually on a grander scale where it just shows that we build strong talent. Yeah, yeah I mean, you have a guy at the top, John Thornton, who told me that in building LAFC and the academy as well, he looked at it as he wanted something to where he wouldn't have left to go to Europe when he did. He obviously left to go to Manchester United. It was obviously when Manchester United comes, you go. Sure. You know, he still tells great stories about Alex Ferguson remembering his parents' names, which is crazy to think that Alex Ferguson, all the kids that he meets and all the players, he, he saw John down the line and was like, how's your dad, mom and dad and knew their names. Just, just yeah. shows you how, what level Alex Ferguson's mind worked at. But John specifically said, like, we want to build something that's so one day that academy kid looks and knows that there's a path in his hometown. That's yeah. awesome. Going back to your career starting at ASO, at least your initial memory, like what positions did you play? Is there a favorite position, a favorite style of play growing up that you preferred? You know, I started out as like a midfielder, just kind of an energetic kind of do ball type midfielder. Um, and then eventually became a forward because I like, you know, I like scoring goals and uh, it was uh, pretty quick. Um, but then I didn't grow very much. And then, so from there, it's like, if you do, if you can score goals, but you don't grow, they're like, yeah, you're a winger and everyone plays four, four, two. Like there was, honestly, there was no styles. Like when we played, we, there was certain little things, but there really wasn't much style. There wasn't much deviation. Um, it's almost like, uh, look, and it probably was because we were using a bunch of people that happen to have English accents. It's like watching English soccer in the eighties. Everyone plays four, four, two. Long it's ball. long, yeah, yeah, longish ball. Maybe you can connect a few passes, yeah. but hey, get two forwards that are quick. Yeah. If we don't get them a through ball, play it out wide, cross it. Yeah. I became a pretty good crosser of the ball, which always astounds me when when guys can't cross the ball. I'm like it's not that hard, guys. It's just a different way of kicking the ball. Like yeah. you can do this. Yeah. Um, but I always like yearned to get to play forward and like for teams when it would be like the summertime, it'd be kind of like the break time, and they're like, oh yeah, we got a tournament. You can play forward. I would do great. And then the season starts, like, oh, okay, go back on the right wing. And it was just like, man, I don't and – it, and it's the – it was very much the, of the system of, like, the man-marking system. So you're an outside back, and you're run, literally running the entire pitch. And I'm like, look, I'm in great shape, but isn't there a better way to do this? And that's honestly why I came in conflict with a lot of the coaches that I dealt with was because I was like, there, I don't know if I know exactly what – is better, but I don't think what you're doing is like, we need to progress. There needs to be something else. And look, no one, especially a high school coach does not want to hear that. So I, uh, <laughs> oh I, 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 I definitely like telling the same story of my yeah, life. I was kicked off my high school team twice 
but always brought Not back. Yeah. So yeah. I, obviously I was I could play, but was definitely booted off it. Yeah, well, no I know way. a little something about getting kicked off a team or, or yeah. out of the league, but that's a story for another day. Because uh, of that, I played like every position. Ep- we need to find out what episode it was where yeah. you told the story of your, oh, of your one oh, AY season. half hour of fame, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, as Chris mentioned, going crazy over his kids' goals, were your parents the same way? Was your family heavily involved in soccer? Were they freaking out yelling at a TV screen and yelling on the sidelines? Um because uh, I know, I mean, I, I believe I'm the only fan to ever get yellow carded watching my little sister's games. So I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, curious, I'm curious, you know, if, <laughs> what kind of passion your family. My family definitely had a passion for, for me as a, as a person. I have great parents that really loved coming out and watching me and watching me compete and watching me win. So they were passionate that way. But no, they weren't soccer people at all. I mean, honestly, the, the genesis of kind of like our soccer fandom was the 94 World Cup. My dad just became... You know, my my dad is is true like Italian Irish guy loves being Italian, but like isn't Italian in the way that like oh I love Parma or you know an Italian team. He just kind of saw Italy playing, had heard they were good. They went to the final that year, and I think that helped maybe him want to push me more. But nah, he loved baseball, he loved basketball, he loved the traditional sports, and you know a lot of kid. You know I'm like a lot of kids. You play if you're good at one sport, you're normally athletic. You're pretty good at other sports. So for him, I think. When I did decide, like, I'm not going to play baseball, too. Like, I was doing both. He's like, ah, okay. Soccer, I guess. Yeah, I guess we're in on this. But, <laughs> like, I'd really wish you would just keep playing baseball. That would be cool. Or you could do both. But, no, they were always, they were always super, super supportive, at least, in that way. So there was, there was nothing where it was, like, they didn't care or anything like that. But there was definitely a point at, like, 15 or 16 when it was like, Dad, I got this. I'm going to need you to just kind of shut up over there because, like, I've – now my level has now gone much higher than your understanding, and I think he will begrudgingly admit that as well. Well, you've called him a person who spells grazie with an X, kind of I Italian. Know. So <laughs> I, I think that that says it for itself. But you are, I mean, as as everyone who knows you knows, a, a militant supporter of Italy. So how did how did that passion come about? Seeing as how the connection wasn't there inherently with your family, obviously it's there in, in name, yeah. but. How did that that sort of become something that, you know, you went from, you know, putting ink on your body with? Yeah, I I'm, I'm, I'm must have latched on to it. Whatever my dad was was on to with that 94 World Cup, I much last on, latched on to it. I mean, again, I, I had a very supportive family, so I think it's like monkey see, monkey do. I obviously, you know, really looked up to my dad. And then as I wanted to know more about soccer, uh, again, following those pages of in the back of the Soccer America, I had a Roberto Baggio poster and I remember it's one of, of him in a Juventus jersey. By the time I got it, he was not on the team. With the mullet? Yeah, with a mullet, yeah, with the great ponytail. Rat tail. I yeah. just remember that red. What was it, 94 or something like yeah. that? I had his with the mullet. I had his Diodorus, his neon one back mm-hmm. in the day. Yep. I mean, yeah. it's it's crazy. I, that, still, I still have them. You know, I mean, you, you talk about the exposure that the Academy players have today and being able to, you know, watch – you could literally watch and rewatch all sorts of games and you could consume football every day if you wanted to. Yeah. And back, you know, 20 years ago, it just wasn't available. Box scores. All I had was box scores, box which scores. is the worst way to consume soccer ever if you if you really think right, about you're it. You're just looking at like, oh, okay, this team won. Yeah. Every four years you get to watch the World Cup. Yeah, That's luckily luckily the World Cup coverage was growing, right? So when I'm looking at the box scores and luck, and maybe luck, maybe I've never really thought of this, maybe picking Maybe getting Roberto Baggio in a Juventus jersey when Juventus was actually very, very good, although Baggio was no longer on the team, was the time to do it. Because as I'm reading those Soccer Americas, I'm seeing Del Piero, who is somebody that I really fell in love with. Baggio, I'm probably too young to actually 
appreciate. Appreciate. I mean, I go back and look at his old goals and man, it's so good. But then you kind of think about it. You're like, man, why is he dominating everyone? Like the level was not great as great as when Del Piero was doing his best level. Right. Um, but I'm seeing Del Piero. I'm seeing Zinedine Zidane. Yeah. And then the 98 World Cup comes. There's a little bit of um, a back and forth over is Baggio or Del Piero going to play? So I'm like, uh, kind of, I'm like, well, I don't know how, how to support this, how to feel. Like I really love both. But then you're seeing Zinedine Zidane and he's just, he's killing it. And France is such a big deal. And I think if 94 is like the impetus of my fandom, 98 is what is like, okay, absolutely, you're done. Like, they grab soccer, soccer's got you. You're, you're done. This is it. Like, you're in no matter what. And then from there, as we started to get coverage of things, yeah. it was the one thing, like, Juventus was the one thing that, like, I would watch a game and yell at the TV or yeah. be mad when they lost. And, and none of the other sport. I mean, I, I love, I grew up, 10 minutes from Angel Stadium. I will walk to, we would go to Angels games all the time. And I still love baseball games, but I could care. I, Not the they win or lose. That's when they grabbed Trezeguet too, right after that. Yeah, Trezeguet. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you, you got to think about it. Yeah. Juventus is great. They're going to consecutive Champions Leagues. They're not winning. Like, you want to talk about team, knowing what it's like to not be able to win the big game. I'm a Juventus fan. So I know what it's like to feel like you can't win the big game. But Juventus is winning. Italy's going to the final, you know, Euro 2000 finals. Trezeguet is scoring the goal that's knocking them out, but then he's joining Juventus. Um, and then obviously 2006 is kind of, and I, I talked in depth about it on on a yeah. different podcast, just how to me that was my, maybe my redemption to be pulled back in after being in certain spots and doing certain things that maybe I shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. Um, Shout out FCFC Pod. Go back and listen to that episode. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a great episode and it's well worth a listen. Yeah. Kind of viral too. I, I just yeah. you know to me it it my first soccer sports hate like remember like roiling with anger was against El Piero because he took Germany out in '98 and I'll never remember, such a good goal. I'll never remember him uh, you know in my mind as 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 a young adult taking what I thought was a massive dive at the time in order to get a second yellow and 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 show red to a German player and we were already losing at that point and and any hope of us coming back in that game was lost and I remember for years years uh, just just abject hatred and then finally someone was like dude you should go back and watch that play again and I remember going back and watching the play and realizing that you know it was it was a legit second yellow but in that yeah. moment and it just I carried that that with me for so many years that I will never ever ever forget that moment in which I, I don't even remember who the German player was that got red carded I just remember it was Del Piero yeah and I remember being so frustrated in that moment because you know um, they had uh you know, obviously done particularly well in 94. And, and, you know, I mean, I was riding that high of 90 when, when, you know, we took the cup and I felt like we had this best team and, you know, Italy beat us, you know, those, those next two cups and it, it hurt. It hurt. I gotta tell you, man, I feel like, cause I, I, I really didn't start watching the world cup until my senior year of high school in 2006. So like all of these previous ones, 2002, 98, 94. It's a good year for Vince though. Yeah. yeah, 2006 was good. 2002 <laughs> was a tough one to watch because it was so far, and the time zones were so different. Korea, Japan. I loved it because I'm a U.S. fan here, so that was yeah. A good no, U.S. was US. great. I mean, yeah. look, I have I harbor yeah. a, you know a, yeah. a, a minor U.S. fandom. I mean, I don't get as crazy for them, but yeah, that that was the. That's the one where they beat Ghana. No, they beat Mexico in that one. Mexico, oh, Mexico. And they lost to Germany, and there was a handball on the line that should have. Yeah, been got out day. of a group with Portugal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they. That 2002 team, USA team, is killers, man. Some really good players. Donovan just coming up. Beasley just coming up. Brian McBride basically at the height of his powers. Claudio Reyna. I mean, that was a that was a Claudio good, Reyna. good team. I think Tab was on his way out, but he was still balling. Yep. Yeah. 
That's crazy. And so what? Why now? I mean, you're American. Why the Italian team and not so much the U.S. men's national team? I think uh, for us growing up, I mean, if I may interject, the U.S. team was 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 terrible, right? I mean, so I mean, you guys, I mean, not to say that oh god, you guys are so much younger, but I mean, nowadays the U.S. team is relevant. In in ninety ninety four, like mm-hmm. the U.S. team wasn't relevant. You had to pick a different team. Ninety four, they got in because they were the hosts. No, I mean my so growing up out here and playing out here and with the demographics the way they were, like my favorite players were Mexican players. Yeah, Luis Hernandez was like the guy that I wanted to be because I was a Ford. Yeah. They actually when I so when I played when I first played not first but when I played for a team called Wolves and we had a coach that would show us you know Mexican national team games and I always wanted to be like Luis Hernandez but he like I was very dominant on one foot and I was a decent header of the ball and I was just very like kind of pacey powerful and he would always say you know there's a player his name is Sage that's who oh, you're like and so he would call me that he's and so, so we tall, would though. yeah he was much taller <laughs> well I was taller when I was a kid this is when I'm like 12 or 13 um so just, he would I just stop yeah he would call me that and we would play like predominantly Mexican teams and they'd be like who who's he talking to and it's like he's talking to that white guy and they're like no and but yeah he would he would call me Isage and I would I would play like that so I he was a baller. I didn't I'm, I'm with you the the U.S. teams I just there was yeah. nothing like Sorry, Eric Winalda didn't do for me. You know, I just the the Mexican teams were much more fun to watch and something I wanted to be like. I forgot about that guy. So now, flash forward to your college years. You go to school at UC Santa Barbara, uh, and then you end up finishing your education at Fullerton, Cal State Fullerton. And while you're there, getting your uh, degree in journalism, you start doing the sports journalism for the soccer team. Correct. And so. You know, what What was that like? I know that you specifically had asked to do the soccer team. Yeah. And they pretty much gave it to you. Yeah, no, no one wanted to do it. It was kind of awesome because uh, they were like, that's yours. You you want it, you can do it. And the way the class worked was you had to write so many stories. And if you couldn't fill it, you had to, like, find ways to find stories. So I just went to every single soccer game. Like, they didn't tell me. I had Like, I remember them telling me, like, hey, look, the girls just played this night. You don't have to go to the guys the next night. We understand if it's two late nights back to back. And I was like, no, no, I'm I'm down. Like, let's do it. So I covered the guys and the girls team, I went to every single game. And, and honestly, I cut my teeth really well because I just I had to turn out copy. Like I had to get stories going. I had, you know, there was no, and in, there was no like looking back. It's like, ne- we're on to the next one. In that setting too, there's no one else really covering the team. So they would, the AD would go like, Vince, who do you want to talk to? You, you know, I would always talk to the coach. So I always start with talking to the coach. And then I would get, you know, I'd be like, oh, this player did well. This player did well. I'd like to talk to them. And it's always funny too, because the players are like, they're not media trained. They're just like, ah, I'll be like, hey, how about this? Like, oh, I don't really remember. I'm like, you just scored a goal. Like, <laughs> come on. Um, so I would like go through with them. But that, that trained me to be good at my job now. I have helped some people come to some LAFC games and stuff like that. And they'll be like, you know, what What do I do when I get in the press conference? They go, you just ask a question. Like, I know it, it seems daunting. And like, I luckily got to do it with people that were like, were more scared to answer the question than me to ask it, yeah. thankfully. But yeah, man, so you, you get in that setting you just ask a question. Like there really are no dumb questions. And honestly, in soccer, it's a lot better than professional football or basketball where like some of these coaches like make a name for being like, that's a dumb question. That's a clown oh, yeah. question, bro. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, I feel like Bob Bradley is very intimidating to ask questions you know, too. He's really not though. And he has. I'll say this to you. And I, I had one opportunity to be in the press box and mm-hmm. it made me very comfortable. You didn't necessarily coach me, but I think you made me feel comfortable enough to have confidence to ask Bob a question, which was frightening. Yeah. To do it. But since I let, well, I didn't let, but I, I was in there and you and uh, Dweezy, uh, shout out to Dweezy from FCFC, asked questions and a few other and questions. Season pass. And, and season pass, correct. 
then I asked my question and he looked at me and answered it like a person, which was refreshing because I don't think they always do that. Or at least they don't make you feel that way when you're watching a press conference. No, Bob's pretty good. And he has a grasp and he's even told me, he goes, you know, I'm trying trying to be nice to people when they ask yeah. silly questions. Because literally there's been guys that have been like, last season there was a guy that goes, um, it was when we were having, we had Dio, we had Marco, and we had Christian. So obviously all anybody wanted to talk about was who's playing between Dio, Marco, and Christian. Marco did not play because he was injured. Right. Somebody goes, uh, Bob, why did why did Christian play and not Marco? Uh, well, it was an injury. Two questions later, Bob, why did uh, Christian play and not Marco? And Bob was like, <laughs> because it was an injury. And he comes off, he comes off off the stage, and he goes, I handled that pretty well. I go, I thought you were gonna kill him. He goes, <laughs> he goes, nope. I answered it exactly exactly verbatim as I answered it the first time. I go, you did. That's that was very nice of you, Bob. That was much nicer than I would have been because. Like yeah. some people just don't, they don't pay attention. Like they have their question. That would be the only thing I would say to, to uh, uh, a journalist that if you're getting it. in, yeah. listen to the other yeah, questions listen. and look, man, sometimes you're going to call for the mic and someone's going to go and they're going to ask your question. Yeah. Then just ask a garbage different one. Just be like, yeah. honestly, you can just float one up there. Cause again, these guys are nicer than most. You could yeah. just go, yeah. I thought your midfield played. Okay. What did you think of that? Like, honestly, as long as you compliment them before and then say something, yeah. you get to ask a question. And honestly, once you get one in your system, it's it's very easy. Now, look, I asked some questions that like I know I'm going to get heat for, but thankfully Bob is very nice to me. Yeah. But I would say this, anybody that comes new, he's going to be much madder at me cuz he sees me every day than if you ask a question. He'll 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 let that go. So I would say always always feel like you if you get into that set- setting, ask your question. So, well, I, you know, I think that before we uh, actually dive into the meat and potatoes of the LAFC part of your career, uh, I think that we'll call it we'll call it an episode for uh, for tonight. We'll come yeah. back with part two. I think and, we got glimpses of your upbringing, your experiences, and then it's a good lead up into LAFC. Um, it's, it was, it's, it's like a cliffhanger. We yeah. gave him a little taste, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and now we're coming back. Segway. Yeah, yeah. Gringo wax philosophical about yeah. existentialism for a little too long, so yeah. we ran over. No, at not this at all. Point, so, <laughs> I think um, this is what you're your happy place. Find your give happy us a place. quote and get us into the next episode with so. a brilliant segue. But yeah, no, this is good for episode 36, <laughs> and then we'll be right back with you guys for episode 37. So uh, with that, take us home, sticks. Together, this our culture. the force of a supernova. Stay flying at FC. Dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.